The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Delta, I'd like to make an introduction this morning. Uh, We have a a guest preacher. Matt, I'd like to invite you to come up. Um, Delta, this is Matt Hess. He is our guest preacher this morning, and he's going to kick off our season of Great Commission offering. Matt works for the North American Mission Board. He is a Send City missionary in St. Louis. Uh, He's been in St. Louis for two months. And he is, uh, his, he's going to strive down there to plant churches, to make disciples, to, um, to multiply churches, to train church planters. Uh, so that is a good work that is set before him. Um, again, he is two months in St. Louis. He spent 10 years in Toronto, Canada. Matt is the husband to Erica and the dad to Isaac, Gavin, Sienna, and Cadence. And they're with us this morning. Thank you all for being here. Um, Matt, thank you for joining us this morning. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, my brother. It's a, it's a blessing to be here. I, I've already been blessed just being in worship today with you. Uh, you know, in two months, we've visited a lot of churches and have been in a lot of spaces uh, that, are, that is not home for us. Uh, we, we're getting used to calling St. Louis home, but it takes time, right? And uh, we have been blessed today. I mean, we started off with my favorite worship band, City of Light. I love City of Light. It's a great, great group. And I thought, they're singing City of Light. Like, nobody has sung City of Light since we've been here. So, Charles, I've known Charles for years. He's so uh, gifted and training and and blessing our planners and the SIN Network. And and, and he's he's an Oklahoman. He's a grower of apples. And I had no idea you were so gifted musically, brother. I'm thinking, wow, all these years. And so, and then I hear all these babies and the kids, and that is just music to my ears. I love it. Uh, when, when we started Fellowship Pickering and, and a network uh, called the Fellowships of Churches in Toronto, uh, our heartbeat was that, that we would be a family of churches. And I just want to encourage you, you, you don't know me from Adam, but uh, you're not always warmly received. I was telling our, our sister up here that I like to not have the microphone on in the beginning because you get a real flavor for how your church family is, right? If they'll really greet you, if they'll really make you feel warm and, and welcome. And we have had multiple people come up to us and talk to us and, and encourage us. And so we just want to say thank you. It's been a blessing 
to be with you today. I stepped out uh, just a moment ago trying to find a pin uh, for, for one of my daughters. And um, as I was walking back, you ever have those moments where you just like, it's like a flashback in time? And for whatever it is, it, it, this beautiful sanctuary, it, it took me back to when I was a child and it reminded me of a church that I grew up in. And I remember being a little boy sitting on the back row watching the preacher with my mom and dad and thinking, well, I could never do that. And it was like, I'm about to preach the word of God. I've been doing this uh, by God's miraculous grace for over 20 years. But in, 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 in that moment, I was reminded again today that what we are about to do in opening the word of God and what I'm about to do in communicating the word of God is helpless, hopeless without the power of God. And we need the Holy Spirit today. We need the Holy Spirit in order for, for me to communicate what God desires to communicate and, and in order for you to receive what God has for you today. And so as we look at 2 Corinthians 5, the 17 through 22, we're going to talk about this subject, living life on mission. As the brother said, I've, uh, in my family, we've been in Toronto for 10 years and we moved there in July of 2012 from Memphis, Tennessee, and was pastoring a church outside of Memphis in northwest Mississippi when God began to stir in our hearts for something different, something new. And somebody said, hey, have you ever thought about church planting? And I genuinely did not know what that was. I did not grow up in the Southern Baptist life. I actually grew up in a heretical movement called the Word of Faith movement. You may have heard of it, uh, the prosperity gospel. And God saved me out of that nonsense. But I didn't know anything about church planting. We didn't talk about church planting in the churches I grew up in. And uh, I, I knew of two church planters, the Apostle Paul and Vance Pittman out in Las Vegas. And so uh, I read all I could of the Apostle Paul, talked to Vance. And uh, the, the more we prayed and sought the Lord and fasted, we knew that God was calling us to church planting. And after one year of casting a remarkable vision to this large mega church that I was on staff at and my pastor and mentor gave me a fishing license, said, bring as many people as you can with you from Carville First Baptist. After a year of doing that so wonderfully, five people moved with us to Toronto from Memphis, Tennessee. The only problem was is we all shared the same last name. It was just my family. <laughs> and uh, so, so we got there and... Uh, God just did it. We obeyed, started knocking on doors. People said, you can't knock on doors in a place like Toronto, Canada. And we said, well, we don't know what else to do. And so we knocked on doors. God started saving people. God started churches that started churches. And it's all for his glory. And we, we turned that over recently. But God's been teaching me so much, these principles that we're going to talk about today, about what it means to live our life on mission one of the great blessings of being a church planner and in God working modelly is having the privilege and opportunity to go and to talk about the work that God is doing in that field. And so for years before COVID hit, like I would travel all around talking about Toronto and the network and stuff like that. I remember one time I was at a church in Tampa, Florida, and they said, hey, we're, we're going to put you up in a church member's home. And I was like, well, okay, you know, that's always a mixed bag if I'm being totally honest. All the preachers say amen, right? You'd rather go to a hotel and just study, pray, watch TV, talk to your family, etc. But the reason why they want to put me in this home is because it was a, a couple that had immigrated from Jamaica in the early 70s and had lived in Toronto for years and years and then had immigrated to Tampa for work. 
And their names are Claude and Yvonne Bowen, and they are the sweetest people you'll ever meet. And I'm so glad that Bell Shoals put me in with them because we began a really good friendship. But every single day, Claude would get up and they would fix me the richest, best, boldest, strongest cup of coffee I'd ever had. Now, I like my coffee strong. I like it black. I like it bold. I love that kind of coffee. And every single morning, they would fix me that cup of coffee. Well, fast forward to the summer, that church sent a missions team to serve with our network in Toronto. And the leader said, hey, Matt, we have a, a gift from you for, from the Bowens. And I said, oh, awesome. And so I look in that bag. They had blessed me with two bricks of that coffee that they had served me in, in my time in Tampa. And I said, oh, amen. You know, it's a good coffee's a gift from the Lord. Can I get a witness? And, and um, so I went home that afternoon. It's probably one o'clock. Um, I had to repent because I used a Keurig, if in my, any of my coffee lovers out there. But, but I, I used a, a Keurig. I, I took two of those Keurigs, and I took that coffee. I filled it up, brewed it up, and I had me a nice big cup of coffee, and I went to work. Went to my office, got to work, wrote my sermon, worked some more, did some more work, worked again. I look at my clock. It's like 5 or 6 o'clock. I, I stop eat dinner with the family. I'm not tired. Like my energy's not depleting, right? I'm like, woo, that coffee. Go to the gym, get a workout in. It's like eight o'clock, not tired. We do the bedtime routine with the kids, put them to bed. I'm not tired. Mama's like, I call Erica affectionately my wife. She's my childhood sweetheart. I call her mama. Mama's tired. She's, she's going to bed. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go to bed too. Lay there for an hour, two hours, three hours. Still not tired. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so finally, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I fall asleep. Wake up the next day after about a three, four-hour night's sleep, feel like a Mack truck hit me. I mean, I, I felt terrible. Wake up, and I think, what in the world happened yesterday? I get to thinking there must have been something going on with that coffee that Claude and Yvonne had got me. And so I go downstairs to the kitchen, and I look at that coffee, and it was pure Cuban espresso. <laughs> you know, the kind that you're supposed to drink out of the little tiny cups, not the big mugs. And I'm telling you, the entire night, I tossed and I turned, and I was restless. Have you ever had one of those nights? where you've had too much caffeine like me, too much sugar perhaps, maybe a problems in your life, too much anxiety, too much worry, worrying about a child, worrying about school problems, worrying about work problems, whatever it may have been, you were physically restless. But you know, there's another type of restless, isn't there? There's a spiritual restlessness. And oftentimes that restlessness comes from not truly knowing why you exist. Why am I supposed to be here? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And maybe you're at a crossroads even this morning with some of those decisions. What am I supposed to do for career? Am I supposed to take this job offer? What am I supposed to do in this relational crisis right now? What am I supposed to do? 
But what if I were to tell you this morning that if this is your frame of thinking, that you're actually asking the wrong question? You see, because while we rack our brains trying to figure out exactly what we're supposed to do with our lives, God already has a plan for our lives. What is God's plan for our lives? The Westminster Shorter Catechism was written years ago in the 1600s. If you have a few hours, you can study it and and do all those things. It's comprised of 107 questions. And those questions are intended to summarize the Christian doctrine. The first question, however, is probably the most important question, and many of you know it. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is why we exist We exist to bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Romans 11, 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Now there are many, many ways that we can bring God glory. But specifically this morning, I want us to see that we bring God glory when we live our lives on mission. Now, the next logical question is this. How do we do that? How do we live our lives on mission in this world? How do we show the love of Christ to our friends, our, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors? There's all kinds of ways. As you take your trash bin down to the end of your drive, you can grab your elderly neighbor's trash bin. Where I came from in Canada, you know, you could shovel your drive and then you could, if the spirit was really flowing through you that day and your back wasn't too bad, right? You could shovel the next door neighbor's driveway as well. You could mow the yard of a friend's. You could pass out bottles of cold water on a hot summer day. You can go on a mission trip. All these deeds are valuable and good, but we like to say this, and I want to drop this in your heart today. Good deeds should always lead to good news. Good deeds should always lead to good news. Now, there's a lot of people today trying to hijack the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was at a family gathering once, and and one of my wife's cousins was going on and on and on about digging wells of water in Africa And he finally said this comment, that is the gospel. And I said, well, hold on. She's kind of like, Matt, easy, don't, you know, she's agreeing with me, but, you know, and all these things. But but I said, well, hold on. That's a facet of the gospel, but it's not the gospel. Good deeds should lead to proclamation, the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the greatest act of love we can possibly demonstrate to somebody is sharing with them how to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the greatest deed any of us can do today. But statistics tell us that 98% of professing Christians in the United States of America do not actively share the gospel. I was at a conference once and an individual came up to me and he said, yeah, I don't believe that statistic that you said today. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, well, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. And I said, who did you share the gospel with this week? And he said, well, I didn't share the gospel with anyone this week. And I said, who did you share the gospel with last week? And he said, I didn't share the gospel with anyone last week. And I said, who have you 
shared the gospel with within the last month. He said, I haven't shared the gospel with anybody in the last month. I said, do you believe this statistic now? 98% of Christians, if you consistently ask them and hold them accountable, we are not actively proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, let me say it like this. We are not living our lives on mission. We do good deeds, but we don't proclaim good news. And oftentimes when we talk about living on mission, we get into the how. How do we share the gospel? How can we get more engaged with church planning, international missions, etc.? And all of those are good questions to ask. But can I just speak very frankly with you today? We have enough tools, church. We've got enough tools. We, we have enough resources. We have enough conferences. We have enough tools that will teach us how to live our lives on mission. Oh, yeah, and by the way, we've got the tool, the Word of God. What I want to do this morning is this. It's a little different. I want to remind us of the who we are in Christ. You probably know how to share the gospel. If you don't, please uh, connect with one of your elders. But I want to remind us that it is through him alone that enables us to live out our lives on mission. As our sister already read for us today, our text is going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. And the Apostle Paul is reminding the church at Corinth about their identity in Christ. He says, this is who you are, church of Corinth. This is what God has done in your life. You see, and until we understand what God has done in our lives, we won't live our lives for his glory. So we've got to come back to the basics. And I want us to see four reasons in this text at how we love this world and how we live on mission. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. I want to read it for us again, just freshly. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Amen. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God within him. Within these six verses, we see some of the richest, most beautiful truths and who God says you are, who God calls you, what God has done. And today, as we walk through these four truths, I want us to be reminded of the goodness of God that we sung about today. Amen? First, you can live your life on mission and reach this world for Christ because you are a new person. If you have repented of your sins, bowed your knees to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead three days later and now reigns at the right hand of the Father. If you believe that, if you confess that, if you walk in that, the Bible says you are a new person. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
you may still wrestle with certain sins. You, you may still battle the flesh even on a daily basis. I don't need to tell you today that we're in a war. There's a song that says we're in a fight, not physical. We are in a spiritual war. We're in a spirit, you're, in the, you're in a spiritual fight for your life every single day. We've been here a little over two months, and we've, we've been dealing with some of the most difficult spiritual warfare of, of our 20-plus years of ministry in that first month. Uh, I, I told a brother, you know why? Because God knows. Satan knows what God's about to do, and he hates it. As soon as you say, I'm going to live my life on mission, I'm going to go to a location, I'm going to share the gospel, the enemy hates it. He hates it when we live our lives on mission. You may still battle with the old man. You may still battle with the old things. But based upon the authority of the word of God, I just want to remind you today, you are a new person. Don't let Satan try to convince you that you're that old person. Some of those old remnants, some of those old habits, some of those old sins may time to time surface. But if you are habitually trying to put those things to death through the power of God, you are a new person. You don't have to be that old person. What were the old things in your life before you began a personal relationship with Christ? Well, you know, the Bible says you were rebellious. The Bible says you were an enemy of God. So there's some baseline theological principles for who you were apart from the work of Jesus. But what were some of those things that you used to fight? What were some of those things that used to own you and control you? I don't know what yours were, but I can share some of mine. Mine was anger. Had such anger problems. Couldn't control it. Stupid anger things. Punching out car windshields. Doing, doing just stupid things that I'm ashamed of. Addictions. Religious. Thinking that religious deeds were going to somehow earn me heaven and get me right with God. All these old things, but they're gone. All these things are bad. But there is one primary reason why we could care less about people's spiritual condition before we began a relationship with Jesus. You ready for it? You were selfish. You were selfish. He didn't care about anyone or anything except for you. It's like a brand new baby. All the parents in the room say amen. You know, right? When that baby wants what that baby wants. If it's in the middle of the night and that baby wants to eat, that baby's going to eat. That baby don't care that the whole house is getting woken up, right? If that, if that baby wants, wants to sleep, it, it don't care what's going on. That baby's going to sleep. And that's how we are before Christ. We're selfish. We want what we want. Perfectly, as we become a new person, those things begin to die. Why did we have no desire to share the love of Christ with people before we became Christians? Because we were selfish people. We were consumed with what the world thought about us. We were consumed with fitting in. We were consumed with being cool. Now, we should be willing to be rejected because we share Jesus. We are willing to get out of our comfort zones. We are possibly even willing to lose our lives for the gospel's sake if that's what God calls us to. Why is this? Because Paul tells us in verse 17 that new things have come. Don't you praise God today for the new things? Don't you praise God today for the new things that he's brought into your life? First and foremost, that you are now at peace with God. You, you, you have a relationship with the one who created you. And as I was driving in today, we, we looked and, and you saw the fall colors and the beautiful skies, even on a rainy day. It's, it, it's God's handiwork. 
new things have come. We may have read the Bible before, but all of a sudden it's alive. We may have noticed creation before as we walk through the woods, but now seemingly every squirrel, every flower, every leaf that falls, they all whisper glory to God in the highest. Our hearts have been transformed. New things have come. The old things have passed away. The church is built on the backs, not of professional ministers, but the church is built on lay people who say, I am a new person, I have a new identity, and God has uniquely, specifically gifted me to build his kingdom and live my life on mission. The author of this book is an example of new things, isn't he? I love the story of Paul. But have you really ever studied Saul? Have you ever really studied who he was? With the same kind of zeal that he planted churches and led a movement and became one of the most well-known followers of Jesus that this world has ever seen, with that same kind of passion, he hated and persecuted God's people. And yet here we are. He's credited with 13 letters of the New Testament. Who does that? I'll tell you who does that. God. God does that. God can make all things new. And after his conversion, Paul's ministry was compelled by the display of Christ's love on the cross. He wanted to get it out to anybody and everybody he could. And he didn't care if it landed him in a jail cell. He didn't care if it cost him his eventual life. Paul had been united to Christ in his death and resurrection. Paul was a new person. He was a new person. After his conversion, he started looking at people differently. Prior to coming to Christ, Paul wouldn't have cared less about these Corinthians much. But as one commentator writes, and I quote, Now the shadow of Christ's cross fell across his view every time he looked at other people. Isn't that beautiful? He saw believers as new creations in Christ and unbelievers as people in need of Christ. This perspective shaped his ministry, end quote. Just a few moments, we're all going to go eat lunch and, and be out around people. Let me ask you a question. When you walk into a public space, do you see people in those categories? Because if we're being totally honest, every single person on the face of this planet right now are either kept and in Christ or are lost and perishing apart from Christ for eternity, period. We are new people. How can you reach the world of Christ? Because you are a new person with new motives. Secondly, today, you can live your life on mission because you've been given a new position. You've been given a new position. We're going to get back to verses 18 through 20, but I want us to jump over to 21. It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. You know what that is, right, friends? That's the gospel. <laughs> That's the gospel. And it is the greatest miracle of all time. You see, an incredible exchange took place when Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary for our sins. You, not based on anything you earn, not based on anything I've done, actually in contrary to everything that we've done, we have been given a new position. The righteousness of Christ has been transferred upon you. 
Like, wow, that is mind-blowing today. I, I told you earlier, I grew up in the prosperity movement, and, and there was such an obsession with, with works and such an obsession with miracles and, 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 and different things like that. And, and, and I remember after I came to Christ, after preaching the gospel for six years as an adult, licensed, ordained, in my, a Bible degree, my first year in seminary, serving at a large church, after three years from 2004 to 2007, coming under deep conviction, genuinely being born again, standing before thousands of people in the baptistry with my mentor and senior pastor, and everybody's faces were like, what is, who's baptized, what, it was, what's going on, right? And I got to say, I was a false convert. And I don't care about degrees. I don't care about accomplishments. None of that stuff is going to matter someday. I was lost, but glory to God, I am found today. I'm a new person, and I have a new position. And the reason why I bring up my background is because when I understood what the righteousness of God imputed onto me actually meant for my life and eternal destination, friends, listen to me today. That is the greatest miracle that God has ever done. The greatest miracle. I, I praise God for all the works and, and, and the wonders that he can do and is able to do. But the fact that we were sinners, he took our sins, and he's given us a new position in his righteousness. Man, that's a miracle. We are justified today. You are justified today. You had no right to sing what we sung earlier praising the God of the universe apart from Christ. But now you can. Now you can with a pure heart, with a clean heart. Let me ask you a question this morning before we move on. If you are in this room and you are a professing Christian, do you see yourself as in Christ? Do you see yourself as in Christ you know why we oftentimes do not see ourselves as in Christ? You know why oftentimes we, we don't own this righteousness that's been given as a free gift to us? This fickle little thing called feelings. This fickle little thing called emotions. I, I, I don't feel very saved today. I, I don't feel very lovable today. I, I don't feel like God would have died for me today. Can I just be completely honest with you? Your feelings ain't got a thing to do with nothing. If you live your life in Christ, if you, let me rephrase that, if you attempt to live your life in Christ based upon how your feelings lead you, you will be all over the map and you will never grow in Christ Jesus. All this deconstructionism and, 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 and leaving churches and, and all these things today, it's the enemy's handiwork. He's convincing people to follow their feelings and their emotions instead of the word of God. What does the Bible say about who you are? I'll remind you. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We don't live our lives on mission because we don't understand our position. How can you love the world and live your life on mission? Because you're a new person. And because you're a new person, you've been given a new position in Christ. 
Next, this morning, you can go to this world with the gospel of Jesus because you have a new purpose. You have a new purpose. Look at verses 18 through 20. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us We beg you or we beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Powerful, powerful stuff. Have you ever heard the saying today, this is where the rubber hits the road? This is where the rubber hits the road. When we talk about living our lives on mission, we have to understand we're new people. We've got a new position theologically, doctrinally, and we have, therefore, a new purpose. We have a new purpose. Paul says that Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation in verse 18. You know what that means? It means that every single follower of Jesus Christ has the responsibility, and might I add, the privilege to share the gospel with this world. And then notice what he says in verse 20. Who does he call us? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Cadence is our Canadian baby. She's seven years old now, and she was born in Canada, and she loves to tell everybody that. And uh, she's our dual citizen. And, uh, but she was born, and a friend told us, hey, you know, you've got to claim her citizenship. And we were like, claim her citizenship? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm American. Erica's American. Like, yeah, but she was born in Canada, so you've got to go down to the consulate downtown Toronto, you got to claim her, her citizenship. And so we had to go through all that rigmarole and, and, and the paperwork and stuff. And we go downtown and, and with every city, major city in, in, in every major country, we have a consulate. And you'll see an American flag there. And, and there's an ambassador for America in Canada. Now, that's a pretty good gig, isn't it? If you're an ambassador to Canada from America. But every country has an ambassador of America in that country representing what? This land. Now, you know where I'm going, don't you? I want to remind you today. I want to remind you today. We are foreigners in this land. I I don't care where you were born. I I don't care where you come from. Every single person that is a follower of Jesus Christ, whether it's in India, Africa, Korea, or the United States of America, we are aliens. We are foreigners. We are soldiers. We are passing through here just for a little while. Why? Because we are ultimately, where? Heaven bound. This is not your home today. Springfield, Illinois may be where you reside or in some place around it. St. Louis may be where we reside or somewhere around it. But these are not our homes. That's why the gathering is so beautiful, church. Because every single time we come in here together and we sing and we open up the gospel and we declare that Christ is king, we're reminded that we're foreigners here and that someday we're going to head home. And in heaven we'll worship him for eternity. You say, Matt, why, why, why are you going in so deep on the ambassador portion? Because you represent a foreign land. It's called the kingdom of God. We honor our king. His name is Jesus Christ. 
So when you go to work tomorrow morning, you don't represent just your last name. You don't represent just Delta Church. You represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are a foreigner in this place. You say, well, well Matt, I, I'm just not sure if, if God really wants me to do this or that. You know, I, I see how other people share the gospel or, or do this. Well, just to make sure we're all on the same page, it's called the Great Commission. And it's a great commandment, not a great suggestion, isn't it? Right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, listen to this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission. You have a ministry. We have a ministry. Say, well, I'm not really a, a gifted evangelist. You may not be a gifted evangelist, like whatever the name pops into your mind, like a Billy Graham comes into your mind when you think of evangelist. But every single one of us have been called to reach this world for Jesus and live our lives on mission. Did you notice what Paul says? After saying we're ambassadors, he says three things to complete our passage. First of all, in verse 20, we are God's mouthpieces. As though God were making an appeal through us. As, as God were making an appeal through us. Some people take this passage and say, well, well sure, but that was the Apostle Paul talking here. No, nobody can share the gospel like, like the Apostle Paul did. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are God's mouthpiece. Can, can I just remind us today? Nobody has ever been born again through osmosis. Now, now, whatever you believe about, uh, nobody is born again through osmosis. Nobody just wakes up one day and says, well, here I am. I'm a Christian now, right? In God's mystery, he uses broken vessels like you and I to proclaim his, go his gospel. We are mouthpieces. We must declare the gospel. 1 Peter 4, 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. You are an ambassador as God's mouthpiece. Secondly, we are to passionately plead with people. What does it say? We beg you. We beg you on behalf of Christ. How can it be that so many people are more passionate about college football, more passionate about hockey, more passionate about, about hobbies? How can it be that, that more people are so passionate about politics? You bring up some of these subjects around a coffee table, and people will, will kick things over and storm out of rooms. I'm talking about professing Christians. But where's the passion about the things of God? Where's the passion about the Word of God? Where's the passion about proclamation of Jesus? We, we act as if he's not truly coming back. He is. He is. Well, I don't want to come off as pushy. We've bought this lie from the world that, that religion and, and, and that our faith is private. It's a private thing. Up in Toronto, we heard that all the time. But guess what? You're starting to hear it here too, aren't you? Well, that's a private matter. I don't really talk about that. You know, it causes conflict. Could you ever see the Apostle Paul saying something like that, Pastor Jonathan? Well, I don't know. I don't really want to be too pushy with the gospel. I don't, really, I don't really want to be pushy and say Jesus is the only way. It's going to run people off. 
No. We have a responsibility. Now, we're not supposed to be jerks as we do it. We're supposed to be seasoned with salt and light. Hey, listen to these words of Jesus in Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Listen to what I'm about to say today, friends. Heaven is real, but hell is as well. We must live our lives with urgency. We must proclaim the gospel with urgency. We must beg people. We must plead with people to come to Jesus Christ. If we really believe the things that we come here and we sing about, we must with urgency plead with people to repent and to place their faith in Jesus. Thirdly, we are to ask and then leave the results up to God. And the verse 20 just says, be reconciled to God. Since, since Paul had to appeal to others to be reconciled, he did not believe that the work of Christ automatically reconciled every single human being to God. He's doing it. He's doing the work of an evangelist. He's doing the work of an apostle. He's declaring that God will reconcile those who will repent and trust in Jesus. Christ's saving work on the cross is sufficient for every single human being who's ever walked this planet, but it is effective only for those who will repent and trust and believe. We can't think that some way or, or, or somehow like all this rests on our shoulders, right? Like I've got to save my coworker. I've got to save my spouse. I've got to say, you ain't saving nobody. God's got to do that work. And don't begin to try to take ownership for what only God can do. Where I grew up at in rural Oklahoma, we might say it like this. Stay out of God's business. Let him do what only he can do. But here's what I want us to see. We've got to do what God's commanded us to do. And we've got to live our lives on mission. How do we live on mission for Christ? Understand that you're a new person. Understand that you have a new position. Understand that you have a, a new purpose. You say, Matt, that's amazing. Like, thank you for reminding us today through the word of God. I praise God I'm a new person. I have a new position theologically. Uh, I, I, I even have a ministry, a purpose to share the gospel. But I am so tired. I am so weary. I am heartbroken. I am, and you fill in the blank, whatever that looks like for you today. I don't know what God is stirring in your heart. Or maybe you are here today and you say, man, I've heard messages like this. I fall under deep conviction. I say to myself, man, you're a loser. You don't ever share Jesus with nobody. You're this, you're that. You ain't going to have no crowns to lay at the feet of Christ. Don't do that. Don't beat yourself up today. Remember that you're a new person. Remember that God loves you. But if you hear messages like this over the years and you say, man, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start doing that. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to walk into my office and I'm going to get my family King James Bible that weighs 74 pounds. I'm going to put it down on my desk and I'm going to just start preaching, right, through Romans maybe. 
I wouldn't advise that unless the Spirit really leads you. But my point is this. Sometimes we walk away from these messages and we think we're going to do something. I want to remind you that you are a new person. You have a new position. You have a new purpose. But listen to this. You have a new power. You've got a power in you. You, You've got a new power. I I told you a little bit of my my childhood, how I was raised. In in God's sovereignty, I I, I can't explain these things. When I got out of the Marine Corps in 2004, my wife and I, we didn't have any kids yet. Eric and I, we landed in this little house in Claremore, Oklahoma. And I was trying to find a position in the ministry. And I was selling cell phones in Tulsa, for a, a cell phone place called Cricket. You ever heard of Cricket cell phones? And uh, that was an interesting job. I'll leave it at that. Anyways, and one day, I, I, well, I didn't know anybody in the neighborhood. I, I wanted to, you know, we're, we're, we're new. Erica's uh, my new bride. I, I wanted her to feel safe when I wasn't home. And so, so I went next door to my neighbor and I introduced myself. And uh, we get to talking. His name was Terry Lawson. And he said, well, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I just got out of the military and I'm, I'm, I'm selling cell phones in Tulsa, but, but really I want to preach the gospel. I, I'm called to the ministry. And he's like, really? He's like, well, I'm a pastor of this church and we're looking for a youth pastor. And I thought, wow, well, let's talk. Long story short, he hires me. And I would preach, part of my responsibilities, I would preach on Sunday nights. And I remember one Sunday... There's a lot of pros of living next door to your pastor, and there's some cons of living next door to your pastor. And I remember one Sunday night, I I preached this sermon, and Monday morning, I met with him to go over the the sermon. Being a brand new preacher, I was hungry for feedback and always want to help. I still long for that today. And uh, Brother Terry, as I actually knew him, he said, Matt, you, you preached such a good sermon. You did this and you did that. And I'm, man, I'm like, like a dummy. I'm lopping it up. This is so great. You know, this is so good. But he gave me the old but, you know. But when they throw in the conjunction, you're in trouble. And he said, but. And I said, uh-oh. And he said, Matt, when you talked about the Holy Spirit, you kept referencing the Holy Spirit as it. He said, one time you referenced the Holy Spirit as a thing. And I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said, Matt, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a full-fledged, card-carrying member of the Holy Trinity. And without his authority and power in your life, you can do nothing. And it was this moment in my life. I I wasn't even born again. I wasn't even a Christian. It was looking back, it was like in those conversations where God was like working out stuff in me. Now, Brother Terry was a fundamental independent Baptist talking to me about the work and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And you know what I had done? Because I grew up in all that wild nonsense, that prosperity movement, that word of faith, there had been such a perversion of the Holy Ghost that I had seen week in and week out, that when I started being uh, around good theology, sound doctrine, I began to kind of treat the Trinity like the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. 
And what I have since learned is that not only can I not plant churches, not only can I not lead a movement, not only can I not preach sermons without the authority and role and help of the Holy Spirit in my life, I can't do a thing. I can't put my kids to bed. I I can't lead my family well. I I can't share the gospel. And I surely cannot live my life on mission without him. I need the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh feeling and power and anointing of the Holy Spirit every single day of my life. And here's the really good news. God will give it. God gave it to every single one of us. When you were born again, you received that power. You received the gift of the helper of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as we begin to close. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. Our family and my life verse is John 15, 5. I read it today. I was reminded it in, by God's goodness today. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Does it say you, you can do some things? Does it say you can maybe do this? Maybe It says nothing. I think sometimes our biggest problem is, I know my biggest problem is I don't always believe what the word of God says. And I need to be reminded of his power today. How do we live our lives on mission? Understand your new people. Understand that you have a new position. Understand we've been given a new purpose and understand we do it all with a new power, the Holy Spirit, every single day. In 1985, there was a celebration at a New Orleans municipal pool. And they were getting together. The party around the pool was held to celebrate the first summer in memory without a drowning at that pool. Everybody was so excited. They didn't have any accidents that summer in 1985. No drownings for the whole summer. So in honor of the occasion, 200 people gathered, including 100 lifeguards that were all around the pool. They had such a good time. They, They danced, they swam, they partied. And as the party was breaking up and the four lifeguards on duty began to clear the pool, They found a fully dressed individual in the deep end at the bottom of the water. They tried to revive Jerome Moody, who was 31, young life, but it was too late. He drowned. He had drowned surrounded by lifeguards celebrating their successful season of keeping people safe. Oh, beloved, this is us. We get so excited and we celebrate, rightfully so, programming and ministry and events. But if we are not careful, we will forget that there is a world drowning all around us. This is why we plant churches. This is why we send people to the nations. This is why this church gathers. This is why you make disciples. Because heaven is real, hell is hot, and life is far too short for us to live apathetic lives before our King. 
Today, I want to encourage you. Live your life on mission. If you are here today and you've never repented of your sins, you've never cast yourselves onto the mercies of Jesus, do that today. Why not today? Don't say when I get this, you're never going to get it together. Well, when I figure, you're never going to figure it out. Well, I don't know enough about the Bible. Man, that's good news. I love this book, but there's so much more I need to learn. And every day is a new day to open up the word of God. Let the spirit teach me. Today, give your life to Jesus. But if you are here today and you are a brother and sister in Christ, can I just encourage you? But can I also very lightly and and in goodwill challenge you? Why are you wasting your life? Life is too short to waste. Everybody you see are heading to one place or the other. Let's proclaim the good news of Jesus. Let's live our lives on mission until the king comes back. Father, thank you. Thank you that you would make us new. Just overwhelmed today by your grace and your mercy. None of us deserve it, but in your kindness you've given it. You've made us new people. We don't have to wake up in the morning and say, well, well, I hope I'm right with God. Well, oh, I, I hope I do this good enough today. Man, you've given us a new position. We're in Christ. We don't have to wake up tomorrow wondering what our purpose is supposed to be. We are to glorify you with our lives by living on mission. God, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I praise you that you've given us power to accomplish these truths we've talked about today. And God, now we pray that you would minister as you already have been doing today, that you would give us courage to do what you're telling us to do right now. In Christ's name we pray, amen.